This episode of the Kind of Funny Games cast is brought to you by Movement Watches. The company started by two broke college kids that wanted to wear stylish watches but couldn't afford them. So they decided, whatever, we're just going to start our own watch company. It's kind of like us. We're like, you know what? We see all these other people making YouTube videos. We can do it too. So let's start kind of funny. Movement watches start at just $95. At a department store, you're looking at hundreds of dollars to get a watch. I remember one time me and Nick Scarpino went to uh, that there Nordstrom's trying to get me a watch. Yeah, let me tell you, it was cool, but it was expensive. Here, Movement Watches, they figured out that by selling online, they're able to cut out the middleman and retail markup, providing the best possible price. Classic design, quality construction, and styled minimalism. We just got a bunch of them. Colin got a black and blue one. Nick got this real sleek one. And Greg, Greg got a fancy red and black one to complement his fancy red and black suit. Now, over 500,000 watches were sold in over 160 countries. You can get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to movementwatches.com. Now, you might not know this movement. It's MVMT. You've probably seen it before. They're kind of a big deal. So go to mvmtwatches.com slash kinda, and you can get 15% off today. Now is the time to step up your watch game. Go to mvmtwatches.com slash kinda. Join the movement. See what they did there? I liked it. What's up, guys? Welcome to the first ever episode 88 of the Kind of Funny Games cast. 88 miles per hour, bro. <laughs> I'm Tim Geddes, joined by the coolest dudes in video games, Colin Moriarty and Greg Miller. Hi. Colin, I'm sorry you have to be here with us. Just in general, I don't know. It's in between us, fuck. Are we touching him again? Are we doing that thing? What do we do? What do we say last? We got in. What do we? We did something last week. We threatened him. Was it him? You fuck with us, you piece of shit. I don't remember. Pull each one of these beard hairs out one by one. If you have to. On me. How you guys doing? Great. Fine. Thank you. Good. What a day we've had. Is it has eggs Benedict dynamite? It feels like it's like four thirty. I looked at it. It's a one fifty. I'm like, holy crap. Feels like a lot's been done, but not much has been done. I've done a lot. There's been a lot of email stuff. So many emails. I told you about that Patreon thing you need to do. Things are do a Patreon thing? Yeah, remember, we got to do the little logo. Oh, we already change did it. Logo. Done. See? It. There you go. You're That's right. how things That's get done. It kind of funny. I did a podcast with having a with fire fucking potato man. Movies. Yeah. How'd that, that go? That go watch on her YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Not called Miss Movies. Nope. Hit or Miss Movies? Branding. Branding problems Something right like there. Anyway. She might be coming to the Game Over Greggy show soon. Yeah. Might be. That's a yes. She's coming. She's definitely coming. Thanks for your support on patreon.com slash kind of funny. If you want to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash kind of funny games, get the show early. Or if you don't want to support the show monetarily, but do want to support it visually, you wise, you can go to youtube.com slash kind of funny games and watch it topic by topic, day by day, until the whole episode is distributed on YouTube and MP3 services around Fridays. the globe. Speaking of that, please go on iTunes and rate, subscribe. Do all that stuff. Really would appreciate it. We've been noticing in the top tens, Gamescast has always been there. Now it's starting to get bumped to eleven. I don't like. I don't oh. like that one bit. This fire team chat. Oh. More like suck my dick, friend. Guess what? Sean Finnegan, <laughs> yeah, Fran, you, it's Fran on. And Sean, y'all know it's Destin. A, it, you're cool. It, yeah, Destin, we're totally fine with it. But the rest of you fucks, it's over with. They we're it's coming over. hard now. It's this like destiny. Fear, it's like you feared Destin. This destiny train. Train isn't gonna fucking be on the tracks forever, if you know what I'm saying. All right, chew, 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 motherfucker. Except you, you, Destin, you're cool. Yeah. Are we hiring Destin soon? Wait and see. Wait and see. Are we hiring Sean Finnegan? No. Never. No Friend fucking Ravella. way. Any no. day. No Friend, way. Please come. I'd love to interview you. You're welcome here anytime. What would you hire Fran Mirabella Anything. for? Anything. 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 Oh, wow. 
Yes, Kevin's personal assistant. Fran's been doing a lot of twitching. He could be our Twitch guy. Yes, he could. He could. I hope that never happens. Um, guys, what have you been playing recently? Just to start off, Ooh. get your blood flowing, get getting the getting it percolating. Mm-hmm. I talked about it a little bit on PS. I love you. I went through with the man, the myth, the legend, Poe. Mm. Went to Chicago this weekend. Bought him a PlayStation Four Slim. Housewarming gift, birthday gift, overdue if you ask me. Uh, and then immediately downloaded Overcooked, downloaded my save. We went back at it. Because you remember oh, when yeah. Poe was out here visiting for the Weezer concert, we were we were balls deep, as Colin Moriarty would say, in Overcooked. Mm-hmm. And having a great time, we were getting really, really good at it. And then he left, and I'm not going to play alone. I didn't want to cheat on him with somebody else. I kept the save in pristine shape. Went to Chicago, downloaded it there. We played through that, finished the, over, uh, the, the, uh, the Overcooked campaign. campaign there, the co-op campaign. Now, I'm short... I think I counted out six or eight uh, courses for the perfect three stars. Once I get those, which my boy, Colin Moriarty, has agreed to help me with, once I get those, I get the gold trophy, 100% overcooked trophies. Damn. That's what. That's how you do it, that's Tim Gettys. That's how Gettys. you do I'm it. I'm excited. Now, Colin, how confident are you in getting these three stars with me? I'm not confident because at you, all. You, you, you not have even been, confident I'm going to play it with you. You've been held down by someone we'll call Aaron. She's been an anchor on you in terms of, how f- how hard how high you could fly and overcooked because the game brings out visceral anger and I can imagine man it really does I can that's imagine. why I, I I can't we can't play this together like it's it's not fair to her because I'm yeah. like you know I'm like she's not good she's at, having she's fun to, with yeah, it you're and, trying and, to get these three stars yeah, like, that's the kind of fire I need get me the fucking onions but you yeah, haven't been no. even to the glacier levels yet with oh, the no, ice no, skating no, no. and the stuff very, I'm, I'm, very, I'm not very tell far. me how many how many fish have you fried. What is the fish and chip situation on your None. Game? There's no dire, dire fish and chip situation. Oh, I haven't gotten that far yet. I know that because Colin... I don't move on until I get three stars. That's, that's your bl- that's your huge blunder. I've done no, seven no. or eight stages. It that's wasn't it, a huge blunder because I want, stars. we needed Poe and I needed to finish the marathon. Yeah, we didn't need to. We didn't need to be perfect there. You not to mention, you know, Poe. He's a redhead. Could he even, well, even perfect a stage? I but don't it's, know. it's a classic gaming blunder because you you don't move on to a, the next stage until you're short. Like you, you're you're most practiced at the stage you're on at the time. Sure. So if you get two stars there, then you should just stay on that stage until you get three stars, and you never but, have to go back to it. Now ever you don't again. understand. You don't understand. That's I just, how it works. I just described your anchor. Poe is my anchor as well. Poe does. Poe's still playing Assassin's Creed Three on PS3. This kid is not ready for overcooked. <laughs> you know what I mean? I but I he's what I had at the time. That is the Swiss Army knife I had. So yeah, I used it to cut off my arm. That's what you do in these situations. But here I am, you an overcooked talent for sure. You've got a mind for video games. Uh, you're telling me Colin Moriarty can't assemble a burrito in overcooked? He can assemble a burrito in overcooked. I'm not worried about it. What do you do with the tortilla in overcooked? Nothing. You just put it down. Boil some rice. Cook the the chicken or the steak in the thing. We go. I don't think they just the, the the problem with overcooked is they're just not efficient enough in the way that they're going about cooking. Like why is it so well, complicated? Why did they why, who built these kitchens? No one ever asks why the kitchen is built in a massive square where no one can pass well, each other. Exactly. Where yeah, you yeah, have yeah. <laughs> moving platforms, ice. Why all over not the place? cut all the? T- if you're gonna if you know you're gonna make a lot of mushroom soup, yeah. then prepare the mushrooms the night before mm-hmm. or that morning mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. and yeah, then yeah. you don't have to run back to the dispens you know to the, the, the dispensary. Place, the dispensary. And get the and get I don't know if they actually I don't know if they sell mushrooms at the dispensary. I don't know that that's legal. Anyway. Yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to help you when, right. when, when, if and when the time comes that I'll actually help you. How's Came that? back from my overcooked hiatus, dominated overcooked, mm-hmm. excited to finish this off soon. Last night, jumped in, did Batman episode one because I needed to do my save. I've played episode one, obviously. I've, I host the Telltale Show yes. again. Take what I take with a grain of salt. They don't pay me, but I, I host the Telltale Show. Did episode one as a crowd play at Comic Con. Had a good time, uh, th- but then I never had my my canonical save. You the know what I mean? Is a crowd play. 
a crowd play. We uh, we went so Comic Con. Sometimes Telltale debut new. It's episodes. when Greg does a let's play at a meet and greet. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> it's actually a really good. Well idea. done. Well yeah. done. There's a few hundred people there watching me do it, and they all wanted blood. So they all wanted Batman to be really mean and really, really angry. And I didn't. That's not my Batman. So I oh, played no. through last night to set that up. And then I finally played episode two of Batman, the Telltale series. Blown away. Hmm. I, like Telltale episode one, I enjoyed obviously, but then replay, replaying any Telltale game, I'm, I'm always like, all right, like, oh, this is what's coming. This, oh, I forgot this part. Okay, blah 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 blah. There were also, of course. It's a telltale game on a console. There were all these like everybody had an echo at one point like they were talking in a cave. I was like, what the hell's going on? What sound effect was missing on episode one. I was like, whatever. Just keep making your games on the same engine. It's good. Episode two, though, first off, worked well. I didn't have any glitches or anything like that. But then really awesome story. A really great fight scene. It's it's one of those. I think that they hit their stride in mm. episode two of what they were trying to do in episode one. It was shorter than others, but super enjoyable. Awesome choice at the end that like it was that thing where I, when I tweeted about like the bar fight was awesome. That's not a spoiler. Don't worry. Somebody was all cry baby about that last night. Bar fight was awesome. And then it was like, the, and what a great final choice. Everybody like all my responses were asking me, which I chose. And that, that, I think that's Very a cool. great sign of like how that's going to shake out. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Then I played some hot shots tennis as well last night. We'll talk about that shortly, Greg. But first I want to talk about something very near and dear to my heart. That's the Nintendo 64 20th year anniversary. A couple days ago here in the United States on that beautiful September 26th, 1996. How can you the forget? console made its way into our hearts if we lived in America. Came out in Japan June 23rd earlier that year. Now, it's one of those consoles where a lot of people have really, really, really fond memories of, like Greg Miller. Um, and then there's a lot of people that I think kind of pick on the console a little bit too much, where it's fantastic. And It was the fun it, machine. It was the it fun machine. It said on the it box. literally on the box said, the fun machine. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that they... Kind of gave people what they, they said they would. Yeah. A lot of fun to be had. They delivered on the promise Nintendo of the fun 64. machine for sure. Um, recently, because of this anniversary, I've seen a lot of things on the internet, a lot of pictures, a lot of memes. And I'll, uh, people were posting old advertisements where it was like Toys R Us things of how much it cost. And it's crazy to look at. Like the N64, like at the, the thing I was looking at, it was like $150. And like, yeah, some of the games were 40 Some of the games were like 70 And it's just crazy. There was such a range. And like, that's half the console if you're, yeah. if you're getting some of the... That, like the the latest WWE game was like super or WWF Thank was you. Uh, expensive. Back yeah, then. but it was but, worth it. But yeah, so I was kind of looking into it and like reading through NeoGaf and looking at everyone's kind of memories and stuff. Were they haters or were they having fun with it? Oh, they're having great fun with okay. it. Okay, uh, but I, I appreciate them because they kind of tend to talk about the uh, more underrated or less talked about games. Like obviously. We know about Mario 64 Obviously. and Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, like all this stuff. But, but do we know about Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six? I mean, it that, was awful. It, it was that's terrible. the things. Yeah. And 64 also known for a lot of questionable ports yeah. uh, of games that were better on other systems due to the limitations of, of what it had. But I kind of just wanted to, to talk about it for a while. I feel sure. like this might be depending on how it goes, one topic or two topics. Whoa. Yeah. The, you're talking, this could be the bloated this, fish as they call it. The bloated fish. The bloated fish. Depends on how much you want to be a hater, Greg. I'm not going to be a hater at all. Joking. I love totally my N64. Joking. Don't do that at all. No. I mean, N64 starts, uh, you know, when I was, I put it on my Christmas list one year early on. Gave the Christmas list to mom, and she said, N64, you've always been a Sega kid. Don't you want that new Sega Saturn? And I said, you're right, mom. Yeah, I want the Sega Saturn. She bought me a Sega Saturn. Almost drove me out of video games. Uh, and then eventually, yeah, I went to high school. 
And when I went to high school, that was right as uh, N64 was really hitting its stride in terms of multiplayer stuff that I would care about, right? Uh, I was just back into wrestling or getting back into wrestling when the Attitude Era was just starting. Uh, and they were, had the you know WCW versus NWO game was out and everybody, nobody would shut up about how amazing this game was. And you'd go play at somebody's house and you're like, holy fuck, this is great. And then GoldenEye. And then getting it for uh, whatever Christmas it would have been years later. Getting it for a Christmas, having Mario 64. Like, I, like that's the one that's like, seared in my memory of you know a cold chicago december where it's just bleak and terrible outside and there's snow on the ground out there it, it, it's snow and i'm fucking mama penguin losing his baby penguin you're no like, i'm talking but you're with me no i'm joking yeah. yeah well no that's what it was though is that i remember i those are intrinsically linked sitting on my bed in my pajamas that i got probably got for christmas uh my bed was pushed right up to the window that looked down in our backyard and the snow falling there while i played the snow level or the arctic level whatever in mario 64 and yeah sliding down and trying to get all the coins like mm -hmm. in the perfect succession seeing the, the penguins and all that stuff and that's one of those memories of like fuck that's awesome but then n64 goes on to really i feel define my high school experience where i got it early on at the urging of mike o'brien and then that was the thing where we every uh, that solidifies that group of high school friends because i've been with you know poe and all those idiots from you know kindergarten through eighth grade and then you go to high school and you meet new kids and you're looking for that new connection and for me it was the n64 it was and you know wcw nwo and then the talk of how amazing wrestlemania 2000 was going to be and then goldeneye and then seeing that smash brothers commercial for the first time like, what together. is this going to be yeah the and then getting that game and then every it, it was like such a bonding experience for these new friends i met in high school where Every Friday night, you know, before we had licenses or whatever, the, you, we, school would end and Mike's mom would pick us up and we would drive out there and we would get slices of Cernic, Cernic's pizza for dinner and some Dr. Peppers and go home and play in 64 in his basement, watch ECW and then play more. And I wouldn't come home to like Sunday. It was like that really weird thing that I didn't have before because yeah, those, those, there were those sleepovers, obviously, in junior high or whatever, that like the, you know, big blowouts or whatever, but not like a full weekend long usually for me. And then not with that degree of independence where it was like you're in high school you're you know something especially when people start getting cars right of just like call your parents like i'm not coming home don't worry about it. okay no big deal you know what i mean and we would sit there and just play these games till our eyes bled and we made a smash brothers championship belt and we were so so into it and it was all i feel based around that n64 and the fact that it was four player and it was easy to jump into and i had a blue controller that i carried with me because it was my controller and that's the one i wanted to use and that's what mm -hmm. i wanted to play with and then even getting to you know since it, it was the system that i know that I feel like you had to baby other consoles, right, or whatever. But N64 was this durable motherfucker that I was. Just, I would toss in a backpack, right. And like when I was in plays in high school, when we were like, you know, leading up to it, and you're there for like eight hours after school, bring it there, and then we would take over the Spartan Theater, which was like a you know a projector this size, where everybody would just be there, and then the teacher would know to come in and be like, all right, we need these people for the next scene or whatever. Yeah. They'd all leave, but we'd be in there and we'd be playing Goldeneye on this giant whatever screen. And yeah, be playing yeah. Wrestling. I mean, that's kind of the thing is like that generation. Like there was the Saturn and the fortunate people that got that but then there was the playstation and the n64 and it really kind of just splintered between both had amazing games but the playstation was rpgs which the n64 had yeah none of any real consequence and uh n64 was multiplayer games right and playstation had a couple i mean it had like twisted metal it had, like, it had the fun yeah crash team racing things like that yeah. but it you know was not known for its multiplayer games, 100%. whereas n64 is like unrivaled yeah uh even that goes all the way from mario kart and smash bros and the millions of 
first party games that they made down to like other weird things like snowboard kids or um like or the WWE games and stuff like that where it was really just fun quirky like the Pokemon Stadium mini games like there's so many every game was thinking about multiplayer as like uh, the couch multiplayer yeah. experience which back then was just that's what video games were, sure. were you know yeah I really like that in 64 um you know uh, it <clears throat> it was it was hard to live a, alongside uh PS1, I think, for it in some ways, and it certainly played second fiddle to PS1 for me and a lot of other people. I mean, it was outsold three to one uh, globally, so I mean, it's uh, by PS1, so obviously the N64 lost that battle, but um, I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff in this genetics that I think are really important um, to the way we play games now, uh, and um, you know, for, for all the things it did wrong or all the weird things that I think it did, the backwards kind of looking things that I think it did, the cartridges, for instance, I think were a huge mistake um, and lost them a lot of support from a lot of third parties. That's why you didn't have role-playing games from Square on there. They Why would they do that, you know? Um, when they can put Final Fantasy VII to their vision on a few discs on, you know, would never fit on a cartridge unless the cartridge had something like a $500 chip in it or something like that. So, and I'm making that up, I don't know. Um, but, uh N64 had a great, um, you know, which I think is in contrasting the PS1, I think had a great first party ecosystem. We weren't really worried or thinking too much about Sony owned games or whatever. We looked at Sony games as things like Spyro and things like uh, Crash, Crash, but these weren't even made by Sony owned studios, nor were they published by Sony. So it's like that ecosystem didn't really exist in the way we know it now until really the PS2 era started getting going. They had Japan Studio and all these kinds of things and Polyphony making games, but that wasn't really the 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 onus on PS1 as it was on N64. So to me N64 was the secondary console that I had sitting alongside my PS1 on my shelf. And when something came along that I wanted to play, I played it on N64, but m- most of my time was spent on PS1. I agree with you guys that the multiplayer aspect of it was really cool and that that was one of the things that really, you know, when I think about my N64 memories of which I have many, um many many of those memories are of playing uh the games we've beaten to death already a uh, goldeneye um you know i've told the story before about how we only had three controllers so the person that lost the match had to use a steering wheel um <laughs> to play and you got really fucking good at playing goldeneye with a steering wheel and a pedal um and the, we you know we wor- worked around those kind of limitations um i think the expansion pack uh was uh, really kind of brilliant. I know that some people were, were mad about it, but the, the idea of, that was the, really a modular console, um, and I thought that was pretty cool too. It was frustrating for some people. Uh, my friend in college or in a high school borrowed. You know, well, when I was a senior, it was like 2002. I wasn't playing N64 anymore. Um, I remember him borrowing my expansion pack so he could play Majora's Mask. And never got it back. So thanks for that. Uh, and uh, how did you we, ever play Donkey Kong 64 again? <laughs> never. I'll never play Donkey Kong 64 I can't again. We so don't worry I about. Ta- yeah, we didn't even talk um, about the Zelda. So um, yeah. So my earliest memory of it, apart from playing it in those early days, was uh, the anticipation of Quest 64. Mm. So to your point about uh, role-playing games, PS1 dominated, absolutely dominated, and it and is easily, easily, easily the most dominant PS or uh, JRPG system in existence ever. It will never be surpassed. It, it, it w- SNES was like the lead up to the PS1, which was just every week, man, there was something coming out. Even if, even if it was so amazing for someone like me who loved those games. Um, Quest 64, I remember in the summer of, God, what was it, like 97, 98, something like that, uh, we were anticipating this game, which ended up being garbage, because it was just a role-playing game. We're like, oh, we're going to get a role-playing game on the console. And then, um, really, what I remember about it is is um, summers at my friend Corey's house, who's still a buddy of mine today uh, on Long Island. He uh, played Mario Kart and Mario Party and all these kinds of things and go in the pool or... 
um, you know, uh, we didn't really play wrestling games or anything like that. They weren't, we weren't really into that. But um, and then the Zeldas, I think, are really the touchstones. I think uh, Ocarina of Time in '98, and then and then Majora's Mask, which was made very quickly and, and put out in 2000, I think, are, are the touchstones. And I think Majora's Mask is is if you were to make a top 25 list of games, I think it's one of the best games of all time. Um, and I, I I really kind of just in a nostalgic way kind of tie that console to some really great memories both single player and multiplayer but really the friends I had a, a pretty I think I think people overblow N64's catalog of great games I don't think it has an amazing like this a huge group of amazing games I think it has a really good core group of games that that's stuck that's stuck and that are really important to gaming um, but also the N64 hardware itself having four controller ports I think was really cool something they tried to start doing with the multi-tap on SNES so they understood what the, what the console was made for this also sells more peripherals and all that kind of stuff the rumble pack I think is really important the way you held the controller uh, the use of something that is not a d-pad was really kind of foreign to everyone um, unless well, you were playing on certain stick in general like yeah, I mean, I'm saying unless you were, uh, what I was going to say is unless you were using like these weird quirky PC controllers and stuff that might have been in you because I had one of those but um and I don't know why, because I was playing like Yoda story or something. But, uh, <clears throat> but you know, I remember getting the N60, like holding the N64 controller for the first time and being like, why don't you hold it like this? And I hated the N64 controller. I think it sucks. But there's a lot of interesting things in the genetics of that controller that I think are very important for radio, including the rumble and including the analog stick. So um, we, and we owe them a great kind of debt for this co console. Um, and I think it's well remembered for a good reason. I just think that, you know, the PS1 obviously, you know, frankly shits on it. Um, but that's from a game. That's from a, a dirt, like just an incredible catalog of games. There are many, 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 many more great games on on PS One than there are on and are on are on N sixty four. But I think when you put them next to each other, they were great complements to each other. Yeah, exactly. and I don't think you could have a really full experience without having them both from ninety six to two thousand or so. I don't think you could have this amazing experience without really playing both of them. Yeah, that's. And, a, uh, I, mean, I think that was really cool. They had their exclusives. They had. Mm. They really did have. Unlike today, where you have a few big one there really were big exclusives on both of them and yeah, yeah. there's a reason on both you, you i mean you really nail it when you say they complemented each other is that for me when i think about the n64 and playstation one right n64 was the when i was with this group of friends Fun that i met in high school and where you're playing all these multiplayer things and doing these sleepovers and, da, 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 da. and as i moved away from that group of friends in the later years of high school that's when i went and you know traded in and got a ps1 and that's when it gave me became more of a solitary experience mm -hmm. or just a two-player experience where it was just pony who wanted to play you know it, it, we, i always tell the story of him and I playing Metal Gear and just passing the controller back and mm -hmm. forth back then. But then the move to PS2 and it was like, okay, cool. People in college are going to watch me play GTA. They're going to come in or they're going to come in and yeah, we're going to do SmackDown, but we're going to do one-on-one -on -one SmackDowns. We're not going to do this. And it didn't matter. We weren't missing that. That I don't remember sitting in college with a room full of people having them go, oh man, I want to play and I wish we could all play together. That wasn't the thing. You were enjoying the competition whether as two players or you were just enjoying somebody playing a game and seeing what it looked like and doing these different things. Yeah. Like, that was always such a weird thing. We always talk about, we just talk about it at lunch, right? Of like how we make Let's Plays or right, we were talking about it not at lunch in the call we just had with Jordan Smith where Jordan's like, you know, honestly, I don't watch the kind of funny Let's Plays. That's just not who I am. And we're like, no, that's, no, we don't watch Let's Plays either. That's not who we are. It's funny that I say all that and I agree with that. But the fact is, I used to have an audience for me playing Resident Evil, uh, Code Veronica, for me playing GTA, for us playing Smash. Like there was people, our dorm, our, would, our dorm room would be filled with people watching people play games and not wanting to play, not being like I have next, just wanting to see what this was all about. Yeah, no, it's it was a very interesting time. I think that the N sixty four specifically kind of ushered in a lot of experimentation and just kind of pushed the the level with a lot of things. Like there was the Rumble Pack, the the 
analog stick and the expansion pack and all these kind of new different ideas, um, and as well as the four um, controller ports on the system itself. But in addition to that, like I feel like when you look at the library of games, when it's not just the the highlights that we talk about, um, the N sixty four era really did a lot for Nintendo franchises in terms of broadening them out, broadening everything, like the spinoffs and stuff. Like we all had there was Pokemon in the Game Boy, but then Pokemon Stadium and um, eventually Pokemon Puzzle League, which was the Tetris Attack version on the N64. Like those things were great, but it was really what it did for Mario was kind of where the birthplace of where it's at now. Sure. Between the Mario Party games, Smash Bros, Mario Kart really kind of becoming uh, more of a phenomenon instead of just another game that's out. Um, and the Mario Tennis, Mario Golf, what? Star Fox. I mean, yeah. and I mean, I, I look to you guys to correct me if I'm wrong, seeing as how I didn't have legs in the SNES or NES era, but I feel like this was the first step to them moving away and becoming the Nintendo they became, right? Like you're yes. talking about as SNES was RPGs, and then this was, this is the fun machine. This is what this is, and what have I talked about? How much I like playing with the people, how much I like tossing it in a bag. All right, our next console has four ports and a, a handle on it, right? And it is sequels to all these games. Mm -hmm. the, all, we're making another Mario Golf. We're making another Mario Kart. We're making Well, they, they, this is the first time they alienated third parties. Um, the cartridges were super unsavory to a lot of third parties. That's you know, Square. Pe Square made. Uh, I don't know if it was like a, like what it was particular. I think it was. It was just it was, <clears throat> yeah, Final Fantasy VI, seven. right? Uh, it was wasn't was it, it? Six. I thought it was. Was seven. seven characters or six characters? It was six characters, but it was and, seven. Right, right. Like and, it was like a demo for what seven. Right, could and be. and they abandoned Nintendo because they were like, well, what are you, like I think a lot of people were like, what the fuck are you doing with cartridges? It doesn't make any sense. Now they, they were, were way they more were, expensive. They, they didn't were, have as much memory. Yeah, and there were advantage. There were advantages to cartridges. Limited ones. I mean, the load times were great. Um, mm -hmm. All that kind of stuff. The the, rent, the way the games were rendered were different. You can and so you had more graph. Yeah, and you had more the game without a memory card. Although N sixty four still had memory cards for some games and that was yeah it was horrible. weird i mean the n60 that so that was i think that i do agree with you i think you know the the nes sold better than the snes which sold better than the n64 which sold better than the gamecube so the the decline was already happening at that time um but uh yeah they they definitely went out of their way to alienate people um and uh that's what they do to this day so um yeah i agree i agree with you i agree with you there yeah because third party games were really i mean first party was so strong on nes and i think less so on snes but uh, very important to those ecosystems and N64 it was all that they had yeah. when you really think about it there were great third party games on there but not many I mean like I, you know well so that, that's the thing is like I have this whole really long list of just games and the thing is a lot of them aren't amazing games but a lot of them were at the time awesome it's just now when you look back it's like oh they were kind of trash but they all did things that were, were interesting like for example 1080 Snowboard yeah. at the time was awesome and it did things like oh my god you can see the snowboarders Close move as he goes down the the mountain. It's like that type of stuff was mind blowing. Now it's like whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's so whatever that like you look back and it's like oh that game kind of sucked. But I think that is kind of the definition of the N sixty four besides the classics. It's looking back at the games and being like, well, at the time it was awesome, but now it's unplayable. Sure. Same with PlayStation one games mm -hmm. though. Like neither of them, neither of them hold up very well graphically. Yeah, me. most of the PS one games that are like really good are like the more two D centric ones, or like that's why I think the RPGs fare pretty well. Yep. Uh, but even then, you like and the pre rendered backgrounds and stuff kind of hold up better than uh, some of the, the other games because PS1 games were really ugly. Mm -hmm. um, but they both had their distinct looks. Like PS1 was very pointy and the N64 was very blurry and curved. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like every every single game just looked like it got smudged uh, with someone's thumb. But there was things like Mischief Makers or Beetle Adventure Racing. Where it's, it, fantastic racing game. But it was like towards the end of the N64's life cycle. And it's just like, it was like, I remember the, the courses and the tracks were just so 
expansive and large and they like to do one lap on the track would take a couple minutes and I, I just remember being so impressed by little things like that that nowadays are like you know whatever it's, sure it's taken for granted but uh i was constantly impressed with the n64 trying new things doing yeah. different stuff playing wave race which is like a whatever game but the water in it was like holy shit that looks real <laughs> you know and like now it's a total joke but, yeah um but there was like the star wars games so many, yeah. like Star Wars, Shadows of the Empire, Shadows of the Empire, great game, Rogue Squadron, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. yeah. The Rogue Squadron games are great, right up through right up through GameCube. Um, yeah, I, thought, I even because I know some people don't like uh, three, three, but I like I thought three was great. Yeah, uh, I think people got the on foot shit. I think people didn't like. Yeah, there there were Star Wars games. Did I mean there were we had like bad Star Wars games on the PS One, but um or bad particularly bad Star Wars game in Terrascasi, but um but Jedi power battles, what up. But uh, yeah, there there were some good third party and licensed stuff on there. Um, I've said it before. I give a shout out to Konami's support with Castlevania and Castlevania Legacy of Darkness. Um, people really hate on those games, and I, I really liked Castlevania '64 and Castlevania Legacy of Darkness. They were not as good as Symphony of the Night. They were not as good as the Metroidvania style games, but they were not nearly as bad as people were painting them out to be. Because I, I don't know what people were expecting with with these particular games. Like you know, what what what, what did you think Castlevania and three D was going to look can you, like? Or be? can you kind of speak to that? Because those games, you're right, they're just completely panned, and I don't even see those ever get brought up by anybody trying to defend them. Like you're the only person I know that like has a soft spot for him, which is interesting because you are the Castlevania guy. Yeah, I like those. I like those games. So I, I think that you know. I talked about when I wrote about history of Naughty Dog. I talked about um, the 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 interesting thing about how three different companies, the three different first parties, approached the idea of next gen like three Dizing their games and and what that looks like and what that would be. They in a vacuum created three different games. They created Mario sixty four. They created Knights and they created Crash Bandicoot. And they one hand didn't know what the other was doing. And you got three different kinds of games, and I think you know Knights is Knights kind of fell off the face of the planet based on like what hardware it was on. So but Knights wrote, is fucking awesome. Yeah, Knights is interesting, but it's its own it's its own three D solution, right? And then Crash Bandicoot solution, I think, was probably the least novel of them, which was, and that's no that's no knock to Crash Bandicoot, it's just that no, the idea of two D and made it three D. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. It was just, so it's, it's the same so, so obstacle it's, it's course like, based game. It's, which a, is it's why it's awesome. It's a logical step, but it's not the it wasn't the bold step that was necessary. That's why the N sixty four is. Um, with Mario 64, even though I think Mario 64 is is overrated as a game, I think is one of the most important games ever made. Um, and it goes hand in hand with that controller and that analog stick in the way of their controller. They had a whole vision. And so I think that when publishers and developers saw that game, they're like, well, this is how it has to work uh, for us. This open or expansive environment, not a lot of shit going on in it, not a lot of textures because the N64 can't handle all that stuff. And what you saw with Castlevania 64 and then again in Legacy with Legacy of Darkness, which was basically just a very quick sequel to the game, was um, that. And, I, and, I, and I'm like, well, what's so bad about it? Like, I, I, I remember playing it and being like, why does everyone hate this game? I, I don't I don't think it's as good as Super Castlevania. I don't think it's as good as the NES trilogy or, or anything like that. But it's this is a good game. Like, so when I hear people, I, I really feel like people didn't even play it. Like, I really feel like this is like one of these things that has just rolled down the hill over the last 20 years. I'm like, you didn't even fucking play Castlevania 64. Because like yeah, it's not it's not it's maybe the worst Castlevania game up to that point, but it doesn't mean it's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not Castlevania Bloodlines. So like, who cares? Like those we we got those great games. This is something different. And I really I bring up those different examples because I think Konami saw the Mario sixty four example or going in that direction with the N sixty four controller. And I'm like, this game makes sense for the way we're doing things. So yeah, it was a little cumbersome. I haven't played it in years. I haven't played it since high school. Um, but I I was hard on games then too, and I I don't remember hating that game at all. So. Um, so yeah, I don't understand that, but those are when it stand those as third party offerings stand out to me amongst a small pool of third party games that I actually really liked on N64. 
Uh, so what what do you think of Shadows of the Empire? Shadows of the Empire was great. So I, I remember um, uh, there was a place called Game Exchange when I lived in, in New Hampshire. Um, and I had no money. I was spending all my money on, on PS1 RPGs and stuff like that. And I used to go to this place and pay $5 an hour and I would play it. Like there was like TVs set up or whatever and you pay them and like you pick out your cartridge or your system or whatever. And I'd pay, I, that's, that's how I experienced most of that game in the beginning um, was uh, that way because everyone was talking about it. And I was like, well, I'd rather just enjoy my PS1 you know, uh, yeah. and buy games that I think I'm going to get 50 hours out of or whatever. And that's what I was doing. I was obsessed with, you know, Xenogears and, well, the Xenogears was later. But, you know, at that time, whatever it was, Final Fantasy Tactics, Tactics Ogre and that kind of stuff. So um, so that was, I have very clear memories in snow-filled days in New Hampshire when I wasn't playing hockey or whatever, going to the store. Um, and that was like my earliest experience with that game. And my friend Jacob, who I played hockey with at the time, I remember him, his dad was a UPS driver. I don't know why I remember all this stuff. And I remember him going to Toys R Us after practice and picking it up and, and uh, I was really quite quite enamored by it, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't it's not one of those touchstones for me, honestly. I think it's a great game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the uh, the Rogue, Rogue Squadron, Squadron games are way more important. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And then shout out to Episode One Racer, which again is a perfect example to me of a lot of the N64's catalog, where it's not a perfect game, but damn, I had so much fun with it. A lot like of fun. I, that's a solid seven. Like maybe like six point five seven game where it's like the it was a fun game to play with your friends and especially at the the time it came out and being able to play with two N sixty four controllers and like be like it's an actual pod racer that type of stuff was awesome I think the N sixty four had a lot of fun multiplayer racing games obviously there's Mario Kart and Diddy Kong Racing um, but even in addition to that things like the Cruising series Cruising USA Cruising World Cruising Exotica like those are so and Rush uh, Rush San Francisco. And don't forget about Road Rash 64. And there was there was Road Rash Which, 64. Which, again, not a good game, but a fun game. Yeah. We played that all the time. But that's awesome, though. Yeah. Like, there was so much of that. Yeah. And like, that's kind of what mattered the most in terms of those type of experiences. Sure. And, and that's again, why, again, the PlayStation was the RPG kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. real game thing or whatever. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you could the come fun home. games are here. You came home with a bad game for N64, but if it was multiplayer, you were having fun horsing around with it, making fun of it with your friends, right? Like, I always go back to the something that no one ever talks about is that Superman 64 had a multiplayer game, and me and my friends would play it because it was just so broken and stupid. But I, it would be, you know how I laugh and I can't breathe. It would be that because what inevitably the, the game we created, you know, you're supposed to shoot each other, but what it would inevitably be is that one person would go and hide and like you're in spaceships, even if you're Superman or Lois Lane, you're all in spaceships, you're just and they all look like little bullets, you're just in them and you'd fly around and you're supposed to shoot each other, they control terribly, but the the arenas were so ginormous and you were so small. What one person who was it would do is drive up to a wall and just stare at the wall, and then you'd, you'd screen cheat and look. All right, he's looking at a purple wall, and you, it would take 20 minutes of going through these giant arenas, scanning giant walls, looking for it, and you'd find him, and then it would be a dogfight finally. But that road rash, which, yeah, was not a, not, it was not the road rash we fell in love with, but it was, I always played as the, this guy who looked like uh, uh, Albert from WWE. <laughs> If at the time yeah. it was in TNA, you remember that with Trish Stratus and all that. And so whenever we'd win or whatever, somebody would do a Trish Stratus impression. And it was like not fun, but it was fun in that way of like playing this bad game, going through swing chains, trying to attack each other in between this or in between <laughs> Goldeneye or Perfect Dark or whatever yeah. you wanted to play. Well, I mean, a perfect example of that for me is Star Fox 64. Amazing game. One of my favorite games of all time. The multiplayer was horrible. But how many hours did I put into that shit? Mm-hmm. So many. Just constantly flipping over each other. And it's just like, it's a nightmare to watch four screens all just like doing uh, barrel rolls and, and full flips and stuff. And I'm like, for some reason, 
the N64 just brought it out where it's like everything became competitive yeah. and, and fun to, to just mess around with. And there was a lot of mistakes, too, even on the first party side, like Yoshi's Story. Yoshi's Story was bad. Yoshi's Island, one of my favorite games of all time. And then they just shat this thing out, which was kind of their Knights answer, like in terms of the Crash Mario 64 Knights thing. And the 2.5D, it just didn't work. Um, and unfortunately, they've driven that series more and more in that direction over the years. Uh, but going back to what I was saying about like Mario Tennis and Mario Golf and all the spinoffs and stuff, Paper Mario, mm. like uh, Super Mario RPG was the real first foray into it. Um, but Paper Mario, fantastic in terms of, you know, kind of really aligning what would now become the Paper Mario franchise or the what really the more Mario and Luigi franchise on the GBA because uh, Paper Mario went a little bit more action-y than uh, RPG. But back in the 64, and especially GameCube, like, those games were great. You know, like, they're they're so funny and so um, just smart. Yeah. Uh, especially for a Mario game. Giving it a real story, giving it, giving all the, the these characters and, like, the Toads and the Koopas and stuff. Like, there was the Ninja Koopas and all that. Like, it was just awesome. Um, F-Zero X, like, that, another arcade racing game, but, like, that was... Uh, one of the few that stand out that wasn't bad like that was legitimately good and multiplayer in that was super fun and uh, the frames per second on that like that must have been like 60 like it was crazy fast um, and super impressive and another thing that like really pushed the N64 as being this thing that was like man this is crazy that a video game like can be this this cool um, then there was Hey You Pikachu that was the thing um, but again like there was C-Man on Dreamcast but like Hey You Pikachu you're just sitting there Attaching a mic to your controller, talking to your Pikachu, throwing fucking apples at him. I'm like, who thought this was a good idea? But it was weird and different. I rented it from Blockbuster. Sure. Thank God I didn't buy it. Yeah, yeah. A lot but of rentals. That, that was definitely a the period of rentals. Yes, definitely. But Pokemon Snap, yeah. perfect rental game. Man, you could beat the shit out of that in a weekend. And it was super awesome, but not much after. Um, the Banjo-Kazooie games, Banjo and Banjo-Tooie, I, I recently was playing them for the first mm-hmm. time when we played the Rare Replay stuff. Um, I missed out on that. I'm not too big into the collectathon stuff, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, by that point, I mean, yeah, everyone had, everyone played those games or, or rented them or knew someone that had them, and everyone messed around with a lot of these games. Because the thing, the thing about N64 that might be lost on a lot of people is just that there weren't that many releases. Like, and like it got <clears throat> dire by the end. You talk about a lineup that dries up, where it was like just holding onto this machine for Conker's Bad Fur Day. That's, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah that's nine another, months until that was coming out. And Jet Force Gemini and all these other mm-hmm. games, like they, they, they were good. But again, I was so immersed in PS One that like I really didn't give a damn about a lot of these games. Like the um, people did. People really loved some of those games actually, and I respect that. I was gonna say that. Um, the last N64 game that I remember, I think, buying or playing was uh, Dr. Mario, which was a super late release. And uh, I have a soft spot for Dr. Mario. I'm like a Dr. Mario savant. I love that game. Um, and it was cool to see it make the jump to N64. And I, if I remember correctly, it was budget priced. Mm-hmm. It was like 40 bucks or something like that. No, something I think weird. It was 30. 30. Yeah, it was even, something yeah. really cheap. It came out right after Majora's Mask, I think. Yep. Um, and that uh, was, it was when Pokemon Puzzle League also came out, which right. was just Tetris Attack, which is. So there was like, the, like game. it wasn't. I don't think it was super bad at the at the end because again, I was just looking for those complimentary games. Not yeah. like PS One was still PS Two was on the horizon. I had Dreamcast at this time now, um, so N sixty four was like starting to g- gain a lot of dust. But I've always, I've always appreciated and respected the console. Um, and there were a lot of people in my life that um, that were really into it, like really loved Nintendo sixty four. And I, I was actually one of the only people that had a PS One in my group of friends. Um, mm. 
because I had more, again, more of the sens- sensibilities of, you're talking about JRPGs, but PS1, G- PS1 obviously dominated JRPGs, but PS1 had fighting games. PS1 had a lot of, like, there were 2D side-scrollers or 2D games were not even found on N64 virtually at all. Um, so, like, there was a lot of touchstone genres there for me that I, where I was like, why would I ever move on to, like, make N64 my main machine? There's just not enough games, mm-hmm. and even if there were, I don't... Even then, I, I, I mean, I loved playing Goldeneye with folks in Mario, Mario Party and stuff, but I, I liked my, you know, Hybrid Heaven or something, like my, my the yeah. experiences that I can play by myself. So it was, it was um, Turok. Turok. Yeah, Turok. Oh, yeah. Turok Cerebral Bull. <laughs> and that's the thing is, like, that's the, that was the interesting thing about N64 is I think that there was an active effort on Nintendo's part to court, because they weren't really creating their own, but Conqueror's Bad Far Day is a great example of courting uh third-party developers or just independent developers to make games that you would not expect to find on N64. And I think that they did that with Conquer. They did that um, uh, with uh, Turok and some other games where it's like, oh, like yeah. this is weird. And they yeah. later did it with GameCube when the with RE, mm-hmm. RE4 going yep. over there. Like that was such an out of left field move. But, you know, did well, it pay off? Who knows? Is that what Mikami said? He was going to cut his own head off with a chainsaw? Yeah, for whatever whatever else. My God. Yikes. What else is on your list? You still haven't talked about the Zeldas. Well, I mean, Ocarina we, of Time. We talked about them. Majora's Mask. But if you're talking about this, we need to say how awesome they were. Yeah, they were. I mean, obviously, like those games very, were, oh, geez, sorry. those in Mario 64, like I could talk about forever. They're very special. Games. So, so good. And, and as well as Star Fox. Um, but uh, what else is there? Could you talk about Rainbow Six? N- no, because that was well, a I mean, rental. That was a blockbuster. Rainbow Six, you talk about the original one? Whatever one that came in the 64 one was. Oh, that was awful. Me and yeah. Poe po and I rented it, put it in. Played 15 minutes of it, knew it was bad, but we were committed to the rental. And then in the other room, the water tank exploded. <laughs> we had to call my mom and try to shut off all this rush, rushing water in our oh, house. Shit. <laughs> Things are real. Um, the Rayman 2 port was good. Uh, I remember being a big fan of that. Uh, and Quake was awesome. And more specifically, Doom 64 mm. is what most people refer to as Doom 3. Like the real Doom 3. The real Doom uh, it was It was awesome. Uh, but then, then there was things like Resident Evil 2, which were kind of just like attempted ports like it's like well here you go or like the tony hawks pro skater games for example Mm -hmm. that uh on the ps1 had these awesome soundtracks and on on n64 it had all the songs but only 30 seconds of them so it was just like looping over and over uh just because it didn't have the memory and then there was starcraft 64 which was a horrible game because how are you going to play that uh with the n64 controller but i give him credit for trying like i really do give him credit for trying to get um those type of games to work on on a console especially Back then, where now it's like we get Diablo three on PlayStation, but um, it, it, I remember that being a big deal and people being real excited for, it and then it's just not working out. But it's like I'm, I'm happy they at least tried, sure, because that like set things forward and it gave people at least a chance to play StarCraft that were just console gamers and not having any idea how the whole PC ecosystem worked. Um, it's such a funny callback to think about all this because like we're talking about how you would play the multiplayer even on these shitty games or whatever, and I remember like. God, every one of those cartridges I brought home, so many hours sunk into it now, right? And where, yeah, even if it was a bad game, you keep playing it and you do something. Whereas now, right, it'd be like, no, on to the next thing. There's infinite games at infinite price points that I could go get or, you know, PS Plus free stuff and da-da-da. Like, there's no room for bullshit, whereas, like, there's total room for bullshit on the N64. The the one thing that I always think interesting about the N64 um, is is how it coincides with the rise of the internet. Um, and our awareness of what was going on with other consoles. Mm. So um, with Famicom, for instance, uh, they got Famicom disc, you know, the disc drive and all that kind of stuff. It's a Televiewer. They had a, like a lot of things that we never got in the in the um, in the West. The that was that was quite ahead of its time. I mean, the NES could connect to some sort of prototypical internet. Mm-hmm. You know, like 
um, and get like weather reports and all sorts of weird shit. Was that NES? That, Wasn't it Super Nintendo? I think it was NES that first went on. Yeah, first had like the, the weather report and stuff. I could be wrong. We'll, we'll research and, and put a little note here if I'm wrong. And then that kind of stuff was attempted to with the SNES with what the PlayStation add-on and stuff. In other words, like they were they were trying to adapt these consoles. And the same thing happened with N64, 64 DD, um, which which um, we we in other words, like I always feel like we got. For as good as these experiences were with the NES, SNES, and N64 in the West, I always feel like we got not half-baked experiences, but not the entire experience, not everything that it could have been or we wanted it to be. And um, I feel like N64, the only, the only reason I say that is because N64 was at a time when I was reading fan sites and and going online and going to forums and message boards and stuff, and you would hear about all these mysterious things that were happening. Well, even games like Custom Robo or mm. Sin and Punishment. Yes, yeah, Sin and Punishment was a huge example. I mean, the fact that that ever came out here at all, which it did much later, mm. um, was a huge thing. People wanted Sin and Punishment forever. I don't know if they, they were happy that when they got it, but... I'm not familiar uh, with Sin and, Sin and Punishment. Sin and Punishment came out a few years ago, didn't it? Like, wasn't it, wasn't it a Sin Wii? Sin and Punishment 2 came out on, on Wii. Oh, Wii, okay. So not, yeah. I thought the original one came to, to uh, Virtual Console, though. Ooh, I don't even know about that. But uh, it's a great game. It's like a... Um, it's kind of Star Fox esque, but you're you're a character going through. But it's like a on rails okay. shooter thing. It was super awesome. At least two. I didn't play one. Um. So yeah, I feel like that was, and, and that really happened to an, the nth degree for me with PS One, and and then going back, it really it really struck me with SNES, especially the role playing games we weren't getting, whether it was. Uh, what was it? Bahamut Lagoon and uh, Treasure Hunter G or whatever the fuck these games were from Square where you're like, or Live Alive or whatever the fuck those games were where I was like, what are these games? that? Uh-huh. And so like, it, like, and I remember going to, when I went to Japan for the first time, I, I saw these games on the shelves and I was like, holy shit, like They're I was real. obsessed with these games when I was a kid. I have no idea what the fuck they even are. I just wanted them. Um, because I couldn't have them. And I remember, I think about that with N64 as well because that was really the first one where I was like, wow, there's a whole thing we're not getting here. Yeah. Um, with this and then of course the internet started to talk a lot and we would hear about space world and all this kind of shit and then and then y- you would hear about project dolphin and and all that kind of stuff and and it, you know I, the n64 to me was like the little engine that could you know it really no was metroid. no metroid um and that and that kind of existed to this day it's the same reason why like there was you know everyone's like where's you know f-zero or even mario uh the real real mario game on on wii u it's like they always something's always weird that's missing for one of these consoles. Yeah, no Metroid was disappointing, but we got a hell of a lot of Metroid later on, didn't we? Oh, we did. Yes, 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 we did. Donkey Kong 64, man. That was one of those games where I, I didn't have an expansion pack for a long time. And uh, eventually, when my friend let me borrow Donkey Kong 64 with his expansion pack, I played through, and I love Donkey Kong Country, uh, 1 and 2 specifically. Uh, and Donkey Kong 64, I was just like, even then, I was like, I don't like this. Like This is not fun. This is like not Mario 64. And it's not even what I had experienced of Banjo. I'm like, this is just a collectathon for no reason. And um, it's one of those games that surprises me when people are like, oh, man, I love that game. I'm like, damn. Well, so I always, everyone always says, and I think we're all victims of it, is the, the rose to the glasses. Like, if that's what you had, then that's what you liked, because yeah. what were you, you going to do about it? Road Rash. <laughs> 64. <laughs> all right. That's the end of our Nintendo 64 little love fest. Let us know in the comments below what your favorite games are and if it's Blast Corpse because that's the one game Damn. we didn't talk about. Um, but let us know in the comments and I can't wait to hear from all of you. Now, Greg. Yeah. For the next topic of the day. Yeah. I want to talk about Hot Shots Tennis. Of course you want to play and talk about Hot Shots Tennis. Please, you have a story to tell us. Hot Shots Tennis is awesome. If you didn't the know. The PS2 game? Yeah. I played it last night 
on my PlayStation 4 because it's a PS2 classic. You, do you remember probably when it got announced and we talked about it? I think it, we it, it, we got our codes before we talked about it. PS I love you. I was freaking out. I was so happy. The Hot Shots Tennis. Finally, a PS2 classic that I'm super anxious to get back to, to actually play. Because God forbid they put out a Hot Shots Tennis on PlayStation 4. They announced Hot Shots Golf on PS4. It's uh, apparently TGS. They quietly said it's next year. Come on, man. Where the hell is it, clap hands? You know what I need. But Hot Shots Tennis comes PlayStation 2 Classic. Hot Shots Tennis has trophies. Greg Miller's excited. Download it. Get caught up in life. Last night, sit down and play a bunch of games. Beat the Batman games, right? Great. Overcooked, taken care of. Lego Dimensions, that's a jawbreaker. Mm. There's a lot of work to do for Lego Dimensions year two, right? Mm. And I only had like an hour I knew before I wanted to go to bed. So I wasn't about to commit to breaking all of my figs, doing all that stuff. And then I saw tennis. And I was like, yes. Let's play Hot Shots Tennis again. I jump in, immediately win my first round, remember how much this, how great this game is, that I love this game, and then it dawns on me that I reviewed this game. And then it dawns on me, when did I review? Like, this is a PS2 game that's now a PS2 classic that's been put out with trophies and all this different stuff. So I go on the little mobile phone I got, go over that IGN.com, and I find the review. And Colin, I start reading this review, and holy shit, is it bad. <laughs> like, if you want a review of, like, when, like, because now video game reviews are everything. You know what I mean? They're opinion pieces. They're great. This is totally what, like, the reviews were a decade ago. Because this review, ladies and gentlemen, Hot Shots Tennis was published in 2017. No, that's not right. It's 2017 now. So 2007. It's not 2017 July now. of 2007. <laughs> so ne nearly a way. decade ago. Is it not 2017 yet? <laughs> no, sorry. I don't have the date on it, so I had to pull from my memory banks. And you know how bad they are because I drink too much. July 2007, this review goes up. And so today you're asking for topics. What, and I was like, I talk about all the games I've played. And I mentioned this. And you're like, what would the topic about Hot Shots Tennis be? And I was like, oh, the review's real bad. Do you want me to read it? And you said yes. So here we are. Strap in. Pulled from IGN.com. Circa July 2007, not July 2017. I would have been what? I started in March. March 1st is my anniversary at IGN. So I've been on the job a little bit here. Call Moriarty, you've started at this point, right? This is after that E3? Yeah. Okay, cool. So you so started. PlayStation 2 game being reviewed in 2007. Because IGN reviewed everything back then, remember? Nothing. You didn't get away from any game. And not to mention Hot Shots. You got to review Hot Shots. And didn't didn't uh, God of War come out in 2007 as well? Too? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's crazy to yeah. think, though. But that was I, early on before. Yeah, that was like what, the kept spring on of that. Kicking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why didn't they bring God of War to PS3? Who knows? Hot Shots Tennis to Review. A quality game that's just short of being an ace by Greg Miller. Seriously, fucking get ready. Here's my opening. Hot Shots. It's a Charlie Sheen movie and a video game franchise. You should know both well. Now, to my credit, what I want to spell out, remember, of course, is that when I get hired at IGN, how many video game reviews have I written? Maybe one. Like, I, I blogged about games and I wrote columns about games. Nobody, you didn't, I didn't write any reviews, you know what I mean? And remember, this is when I tell those stories before, right, of the first review I ever finish and Roper just says, publish it. Nobody care. <laughs> Nobody's reading. No one's giving you feedback. Hot Shots is a Charlie Sheen movie and a video game franchise. You should know both well. 
For close to 10 years now, Sony's been churning out these cartoon people. I'm talking about the game now. And putting them on the links to putt, slice, and drive their way into the annals of video game history. Now, I want this, of course, to be... We can't a, do the whole review like this. I need you to read the review. A cautionary we can't be here for five tale. Hours. A cautionary tale. <laughs> and to show that greatness from small beginnings. Now, the series is set to trade courses for courts. And go Wimbledon on your PS2. If you've played a Hot Shots game before, or even if you just heard of them, you should be familiar with this franchise's trademark, accessibility. The games are designed to be so simple that anyone can play, but also so deep that you can spend hours of your time perfecting your attack strategy. Hot Shots Tennis keeps this tradition alive, but sh falls short of living up to the Tiger Woods-like image of its brethren. Here's where you get super, super 2007 video game reviewing. The X button is your top spin shot. Circle is your slice and triangle is your lob. No Oxford comma. Backhand and forehand shots are determined by how you've positioned your player in front of the incoming ball. And serving is all about timing your button strike of choice. X is a flat serve. Circle is a slice serve and triangle is an underhand serve. You now know how you now know everything you need to rock at hot shots. Tennis go forth and melt faces. Sounds like a piece of cake, right? Well, it is and it isn't. I took June, an oh-so-cute brunette in a, white, in a little white tennis ensemble, through the ranks. I found myself besting the computer by simply using top-spin shots directed toward vulnerable parts of the court. If headphone-rocking JJ to the left... <laughs> I'm sorry, if headphone rocking JJ went to the left, I'd hit it to the far right. If Ashley, an all-around player in a skin-tight dress, went close to the net on the right, I'd hit it to the left side of the backcourt. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you play tennis. <laughs> These simple moves are easy to pull off because, just like you'd expect, your shots go wherever you're pointing the left analog stick when the racket and ball collide. That means you have nine locations to slam the yellow fuzzball. Not every shot is going to be on the money. To make sure you use your precision punch, you have to hit the ball at the perfect time, that split second when it's just hanging in midair. Hit it too early and a little money appears over your player and the ball crosses the court and heads out of bounds. <laughs> hit it late and a little turtle appears over your player and the ball slowly makes its way over the net or into it. This is how reviews were back then. <laughs> it's this timing system and the science of alternating your shots that will make you break Make or break you as the game progresses. Just like all other Hot Shots games that you've played, there's a the single player mode, called challenge mode, starts you out in the beginner class and has you work your way up the ladder, knocking off set numbers of opponents, set number of opponents to the next of seven ranks. This meant that I could just tap X during my domination of the lowest rung, but when I turned semi-pro, I needed to be lobbing when Monoku moved the, to the net and hitting, sl hitting, hitting slow shots so Jun could get a breather when the computer was on a roll. So the gameplay is fun. But don't forget that like Anna Kornikova, Hot Shots has parts that aren't perfect. What? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> remember, Hot Shot, lie. remember Hot Shots Golf on PSP? <laughs> sure you do. It was, it, was one of the it was one of the only decent games for months on the PSP. But you didn't care because the gameplay rocked. There were multiple modes and there were a lot of unlockables. Hairstyles, shirts, and umbrellas. Tennis brought the gameplay but forgot the rest. Sure, there are costumes, 14 characters, 11 locations, and 5 umpires to unlock. 
just the fucking fact sheet I'm putting in this review now. But there's no way to pimp a player out to your liking. You can put June in a schoolgirl outfit or Ashley in the American flag dress, but you can't mix and match. No crazy sunglasses, no sandals, no hats. Let's get beyond the aesthetics. Remember how you could unlock new clubs and balls that would affect your character's stats in Hot Shots Golf? Tennis left that out as well. Here, stats are limited to the game telling you if your choice for the game is a baseline, net, or all-around player, and then rating a player's serve, stroke, volley, and more. The catch? You can't influence those stats. Fall in love with June like I did? Great. But even if you get yourself to the top tier of classes, don't expect to be able to get her stroke out of the gutter. As far as modes, there are three. Challenge, training, and fun time tennis. Challenge is just you, is just you playing matches to unlock stuff. Training should be self-explanatory. And fun time is just you choosing to play with or against friends of the computer. Where are the mini games? says Greg Miller of 2007. Luckily, even with the multi-tap hooked up and four folks flailing their rackets, the game runs fine and looks good. In fact, Hot Shots Tennis looks good all the time. Courts range from the sun-splashed sand of Aloha Beach to the citified blue court of Sarango Park, or whatever the hell it's called. But each of these 11 possible playing fields are bright, lively, and ca feature clapping cl crowds. And yes, the characters look good too. They look disturbingly good. Each has individual animations and vocal work, but the girls all have really short skirts. I'm not a sexual deviant, but the replay's penchant to drop low and rise with critical shots left me feeling like I had just had a guest spot on Datelines to catch a predator. I think I need a shower. The verdict. I really like Hot Shots Tennis. It's a game that I'm going to keep playing even though I've done, I'm done with the review, but I'm short of being impressed. Granted, it's only $30, but when we get down to it, the title is asking its simple gameplay to be the sole reason you keep playing. You can't customize your character's appearance or stats, so it's going to come down to you beating the bejesus out of everyone in an attempt to unlock some umpires you're never going to use. Then, the game will be over. Then I have all the breakdowns, and it's a 7.6 overall. Good. I love you so much, Greg. I mean, that's the thing. People always, you know, people always, you know, set out to be us. Like Alex O'Neill, right? He writes every day. When I told kids I wanted them to, if they wanted to do this, you know, you have to write every day. This is why. Yeah. That I'm sure if you went through any of my first two, arguably eight years of reviews, they're garbage. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? But this is like. Such, for me, a time capsule, not only of myself, but of what video game journalism was, or what IGN was, where the reason I'm listing every one of the courts and every one of this and how to play is because that's how the little minimal instruction I was given at the time is like, that's how reviews were. Yeah. Shove it all in there and go. What do you got for I me? I like this one. Eight. You sound an eight. So we used to have to do these fucking numbers or everything. The racket thwacks, ball bounces, and polite claps from the crowd sound perfect. There's even that empty sound that accompanies a deathly quiet tennis court. <laughs> it's true. You're giving him props for uh, no sound. No sound. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's an eight. That's why it's great. You kidding me? No, but I mean, it's like I forgot. You, you, when I think back about reviewing games, it's the experience of reviewing games, right? Or the, the, how this happened or the reaction to like Dead Space 2's review. Mm -hmm. Not what I wrote. You know yeah. what I mean? And so to go back and like... I can. I mean, like, I always think back to like the first review I remember publishing, and I might have had another one before this, but was Ace Combat on PSP, and I know that thing's a fucking train wreck. You know what I mean? But like for this one of like, because this is back in the day where it was we reviewed everything, so you were reviewing three or four games a week, and so yeah, like I don't remember what I said about any of them, let alone like how like 
cookie cutter terrible like this is like all the cliche it's not, shit it's not that bad yeah but it's like not at all what i, mean, I would bad, write now yeah, yeah. you know what i mean or like what ign would publish now oh, no, no, no it's no, so, no, so no. different it's i actually go back and read old reviews quite frequently like i just will be like oh i wonder like today i was like i wonder what ign gave star wars episode one racer so i like looked it up and it's like yeah it is very much just kind of here's a bunch of facts and then here's just what like is it good or not right because that was the whole thing right of like trying not to be well, I mean, back then it was, we were trying to be objective, which everybody's like, well, is that a thing that can happen? But so it was, put all these facts in there, name characters that nobody fucking knows what I'm mentioning, what right? I'm like, oh, this is. guy, this guy wears headphones. Why the fuck would anyone care? That doesn't need to be put in this review yeah, at all. I love, I love how you also like, you didn't dock points for it, but like you're kind of questioning where are the crazy sunglasses. <laughs> well, I mean, now to the like, credit, I still argue about that. <laughs> the PS, that's why PS3 Hot Shots Golf was such a, no, no. That was a no, no. Because I couldn't do anything. It's Where, serious. Why did they nail it on PSP, but they keep fucking it up? Don't fuck it up on PS4. But yeah. It peaked in two. They did. They did. Man. <sighs> I like this past. a lot. Yeah. But it's it's also part of it. I just can't believe that I reviewed a game that's now <laughs> a PlayStation 2 classic. classic. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Man. 10 years ago. Almost. Colin, mm. how does this how does this make you feel? Oh, it just reminds me of my old reviews. The reviews were different back then. And... and uh, um, they were. This is actually a pretty curt review. The, the the thing about that I always think about with ten years ago reviews were, were how fucking long. Yeah, they major were. reviews. Oh my god, yeah. dude! The Taylor reviews were thousands and thousands of words. Wasn't it like twelve pages or whatever? Yeah, for I was GTA like, for. holy god! You know, like it made sense at the time. But it yeah, of course. It's so weird though, to think back though, like because when you had video game magazines. They just got shorter and shorter. Well, that's the whole reason I think of why it skewed the other way is that we're online. We can have as much as we want, let alone break up more pages, serve more ads, I think, stuff yeah. like that. Not that that was ever encouraged. That's why we're doing it. But I think it was say as much as you got to say and it's going to be there. It's like, yeah. When, yeah, you have 12 pages to say on Metal Gear 4 or on GTA 4. You go for it. Pages. And that's the that's the counterpoint to EGM's three people like in their little. And EGM would be like one paragraph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then three sets of two sentences to like kind of respond. And even then they were never really fully reviewing the game. The first one would review the game. And I always felt like the other guys were kind of reviewing the other guy's review. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just kept trickling down, man, different times. Yeah. Very, very much so. Very fun. But th thank you for that, Greg. No problem. Thank Anytime. you very much. Next time a game I reviewed comes to PS2 classics. I'll yeah. My favorite thing is when Colin gets distracted. My question is with the background. Shout out to Oriodo, by the way, go awesome. check him out. Link How in the description. often do you toss new ones in? Uh, so far I haven't really. Yeah. I could have sworn there's shit happening today that I've never seen before. Nope. We're just not paying attention to the two. That's true. We're lost in No, I also recently started doing something a little differently, where initially we would start with the start of the video, and oh. then we're getting the same sets. So what I do now is I come in like 30 minutes beforehand, and I just let it play. It's, it, like, it's random. I'll come in randomly, let it play, and then you guys just sit down, and now... Good so job. that's a different start point. But I mean... Every episode, it still cycles through the entire thing. No. So we've shut seen up. all of these. Um, but what we haven't done is, because I've been waiting for He releases one a week, a new one. So I'm waiting to kind of get maybe like 10. Okay. And then I'm like, the big drop. Refresh. He just recently did a Last of Us. Oh. And it's super nice. Okay. Um, he's been working on some really cool stuff. Super talented, if you can't tell. There we go. Is he in the description below? Yep. Great. Always is. Every episode of the Kind of Funny Games cast. So go check him out. He is the man, the myth. The and if you're driving a car, just go to YouTube when you get home. Don't just right now. Look him up. Oriodo. O R. Drive the car. It can wait. O T O. All right. Final topic. 
Brought to you by my boy, Steven Insler. What up? Shout out to you. We, we've we heard that he might be alive. Someone on Twitch claims that he's alive, but I don't know if it's really him. Yeah, I'm not sure. His his name was Steven Insler Lives. Which that, uh, that sounds fishy. Sounds fishy to me, my friend. I hope you are well out there, Steven Insler. Um, so as always, final topic is a bunch of your questions. You can go to kindoffunny.com slash gamescast topic, just like all my boys over here did. Loga Boga says... Who's been the best video game villain in the 2010s? My choice would be the Wild Hunt from Witcher 3 or the Elusive Man in the Mass Effect series. The Elusive, Man's, oh, good. Elusive Man's, Man's a good really choice. Good. Yeah. Good um, I mean, I, I mean, I jump and we just mentioned it, so maybe that's why. But David in The Last of Us, mm. he was a great villain. He was a great foil. He was creepy as all hell. You know what I mean? He was, he was a different kind of villain too, in the way that he wasn't like some bulky boss. He was this wiry little creepy dude. You know what yeah. I mean? He had this creepy thing going on, and then when he reveals that like he knows who you got, he's like, "Oh yeah, it's funny because people have been going through here and killing all my people." And it's like, ah, you put it all together. That was yeah. fun. Well, that's a good call. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I I would need to see my trophies to see what I've even played in the last five years that I would I would consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, was, the last one is a good choice. I think a lot of the Uncharted villains are pretty cool. Um, Lazarevich. Well, cool. maybe except for Lazar. I like I like Marlo a lot. Um, I gotta drink this blue sap. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. It's Narsh from Final Fantasy mm-hmm. VI. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, let's think about it. Like, what what have been kind of the the franchises of the the last decade or so? Like, but you say two thousand tens, but like, let's even give it like the two thousands in there too. But I mean, franchises. I mean, that's the problem. Is so many games have shitty fucking endings. Like, uh-huh. I I like. I think of it and the villain and what the boss battle is going to be like and stuff like that. And Uncharted always has cool villains, but then their bosses are the battles always suck so much that I would never want to put them in there. And I same mean, thing with like even like, ish, like infamous. Well, infamous isn't. I mean, if we're if we're going that far back, I mean, Kessler was cool. I thought I enjoyed what Kessler was doing, but like you know, what was her name in uh, Second Son? Oh, um. Uh, Ab- no, that's, no, that's no, that's right, Constantine. Constantine. That sounds right. Yeah, Constantine. Some, mm, that's not it, but yeah, something like that. Well, I mean, you know, she's like she seemed kind of cool, but then she's putting rocks in old people's legs and whatever. Rocks in old this woman's legs. Um, and I'm thinking like even you know like I'm looking. Over, I see I see Lee over there from Walking Dead. I'm like, oh, Ooh. Walking Dead was great. And then yeah, you get to the end of. Walking Dead, and it's this like totally shoehorned in guy in a station wagon. You're like, what the? Yeah. What is this thing? Andrew Ryan in Bioshock's an amazing choice, but that's not in the 2010s. That's why I'm not. I'm well, not still, kidding. I mean, I think I think he's kind of asking about the recent. Because I mean, he's talking about Mass Effect. So. Oh yeah, back. I guess the elusive man's Mass Effect two is in 2009. No, 2010. Right, and then Mass Effect three is 2012. So maybe it was 2009. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, um. Andrew Ryan's a fucking one of the great villains in, in gaming history for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I I always really lo- what I always really dug and I've talked about in the past is I have a real affinity for the Resistance trilogy. And what I always loved about that was the the Chimera, specifically because with the accession of the angels and stuff like that, you don't really meet them the entire time. The the, the, the Chimera you're fighting are mutated humans. Um, so I always like that you have played this entire trilogy without ever really dealing with the source of the problem. And I'm sure that they intended on doing that, but, uh, they couldn't, they didn't have time or the space or the, mm-hmm. the games to do it. I guess three games was too much to, uh, or too few to, uh, to get to the fucking point. Um, <laughs> they were writing them like old IGN reviews. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I dig, um, I love the, I, I love the, uh, choice of, um, of the elusive man for that. I think that that's a, a really, really good. Good choice. Total cop out answer, but if I the mean, Joker, if, yeah, Joker yeah. from the Batman Arkham series, right? And I mean, even in 
ah, geez, spoilers, but come on, come on, really? But like in Arkham Knight, right? Like he's like one of my favorite parts. So caught off guard, and like I loved what they did there. Let alone how great he had been before, including Origins and underrated game. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Let us know in the comments because I'm sure you guys are like screaming at the computers right now or however the hell you're. Ah, the, the Ghost show. Woman from Tomb Raider. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Anita Bath ah. Ah. says, hey, guys, I don't know about you, but I really miss the creativity that the old rare brought to Nintendo and video games in general. Their ability to create new IPs, reinvent IPs, and to get the gameplay just right for the most part is greatly missed by me. My question is this. What are the chances Nintendo will unveil a studio that can deliver for the NX? Or do you think they'll continue to squeeze more semi-predictable games from their beloved and incredibly old franchises? Signed, an ex-Nintendo diehard. Oh, my gosh. You don't need a Rare to do that. You just need to buy the IPs. This is what Sony does masterfully, I think. And and um, maybe less so now than they used to. But Sony has a stable of second-party studios that make these new games for them uh, that they own. And uh, this this fills the channel with a new IP without having to invest in a new studio, which is a costly investment and maybe not a wise investment to do these days. So I don't think that they're going to make... You know, they, you have to remember, Nintendo didn't make Rare. Nintendo bought Rare. Um, so... Um, they could find a studio that they could buy, but I don't really see why. I, it seems like those relationships are waning, that like people don't really seem to want to necessarily be bought anymore as they were 10 years ago when everyone was very eager to be bought. I mean, we remember Naughty Dog getting purchased in 2004 and uh, Sucker Punch getting purchased in 2009 and uh, or 2011, actually, it was right right before Infamous 2, I think. Yeah, um, and uh, so, you know, but we still have studios that you are that I'm surprised have been purchased. Quanti- I can't believe Quantic Dream is still independent. I can't believe Housemark is still independent. Um, so I think that Nintendo just has to identify talent, requisite talent. That is not that is willing to part with its IP um, in order to uh, get those games because I do agree that there's something missing on Nintendo and that is that is the 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 quality new IP that they used to do although th- they had a few on, or a couple on Wii U I think that people liked Splatoon. to a lesser Splatoon to a massive degree and then a lesser degree some people liked like you know Captain Toad and all these Captain other Toad's kinds of awesome. things so yeah. I think that they, they they exist there but I think that you know it reminds me more of the 3DS where a lot of the novel shit on 3DS is coming from third parties so um, mm-hmm. I think that the relationship has to kind of go like that but I I agree with you I think Nintendo's miss Mrs Rare and I think Rare has never been the same. Well, Rare's done. I mean, Rare nowadays is just like, all right. Yeah, I mean, it's they're so far. They're, they, it's the same thing with Naughty Dog, right? Like uh, the days of Jason Rubin and those guys making Crash Bandicoot and Jack and Daxter. That, that, that Naughty Dog is fucking dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're I think we're better off because of that. Uh, they are a new Naughty Dog, a much better Naughty Dog now. Um, and so you could say maybe the opposite of Rare, but you could definitely say definitively that the old Rare is dead too. And so like, they can they could reinvent themselves again. Yeah. Definitely. And it's interesting to me to, to look at uh, something like Retro Studios where so Rare reinvented what Donkey Kong meant, like making Donkey Kong Country. Uh, and I think that with Retro, they did Metroid Prime, which reinvented what Metroid meant. Right. Um, and then they took Donkey Kong Country and brought it back and didn't so much reinvent it as much as reinvigorate it and like really kind of give it a, a polish and, a, and the respect that a, a franchise of that deserves. Uh, in a way that I don't even think Nintendo would have or could have themselves uh, on the Wii and then Wii U with Tropical Freeze. So I think that Retro is kind of their, their new Rare. Um, but I would love to see Retro do that on the NX. But it, they're probably going to be doing Metroid, you know. Um, but I'd love for them to just come out with some new IP that is the th- what we think of as being that, that Rare magic, the Retro magic before the NX. Mm-hmm. But I'll, at this point, I'll just take anything from them. NX. When's it going to happen, Tim? I don't know, man. Is it going to happen? Holy shit. We're three days out from October right now. So that means that we have 
30 days where it's like it has to happen then or else it doesn't exist. Oh, my God. Lost my place in the questions. Hold on. I'm a sorry. Second. My apologies. I didn't mean to throw you no, an NX wrench, as they call it. Wasn't your fault. Parker B says, Hey, guys, instead of some long crap, just want to say you guys are dope and what you do is awesome. I watched some multiplayer footage from the Call of Duty XP event, and honestly, it looks like Black Ops 3 DLC with a new color scheme. Damn. I think Call of Duty should take it back a few notches like Battlefield 1. What do you guys think? What's your opinion on where they're taking things? What would you like to see them do? Keep it classy. I think they got to go back to World War II, but I think that, um, and I would love to see that, but I think that they're uh, scared of doing that because their competition is doing that um, with World War One, and has a more recent, uh, and I'm talking about Battlefield, but has a more recent touchstone in some wars of, uh, I don't want to say of antiquity because that's not true, but just older wars and older conflicts. Call of Duty is going in the opposite direction, which I think is probably wise because it differentiates them. They're going to the future. Um, but I would love, I would love, and I would hope that Call of Duty, considering that you know, Activision has recently doubled down saying Call of Duty is not going anywhere. Um, that I, I hope that one of the three studios that's cycling between the franchises is working on a World War II game because I think that we we can go back to that point now and I think have a fresh experience again. I, I do agree. That, well, first of all, the franchise hasn't been to World War II since World at War, and so that was a long time ago. And um, we just don't get World War II shooters at the amount. Even we don't get any anymore. We I, mean, I understand why people were tired of it, but yeah, it's still a, it's still a, it is still the conflict rife for storytelling, and it can be done in beautiful and amazing ways with the new technology that we have. We have not seen anyone take advantage of that yet in a meaningful way. We're gonna get things like snipe the sniper elite game and stuff like that. That's in World yeah. War Two, but which looks great and it is great. I played it at, at uh, E3, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll I want them to go backwards. Yeah, and I think that I was surprised that Dice went all the way back to World War One. I. I think that's as far back as you can go. Um, and I think even that's a stretch because I was I was I really think that War Battlefield one looks great. And I'm excited about it. I was excited about what they said about the campaign, which is like it's a little vignettes, basically, um, which is cool. Um, but uh, when I was watching the multiplayer footage when we were at GameStop Expo at the same time, I'm like, this is outrageous. Like, like I, I know history like pretty well. And these things all existed. Yes. The Zeppelin existed. It's awesome. Man. And these planes. But I'm like, this is, a, this, is fucking, the same this is fucking chaos. Theater. You know, like, and, and World War One is chaos, but not in the, not in that way. So, um, so I, I think World War Two is one of those things where you can marry that fucking frenetic nonsense in the world and, and multiplayer maps and actually make it make sense. Cause it really was like that. Yeah. I don't know. Battlefield one looks super awesome to me. And like the story trailer that released yesterday, I'm like, man, this looks hype as fuck. Yeah. And it being little vignettes and stuff. I feel like that they, they can manage that. Um, I think that that could result in some really cool storytelling. And I think that's pretty unique for, for these type of games. Uh, the call of duty story, like the E3 trailer, I was like, man, this gameplay looks kind of awesome. See, that's my thing is like, I, I'm fine with what call of duty strategy or pace is right. Not being a call of duty fanboy or anything like that. Not caring. I still want to play that Kevin Spacey version. I haven't jumped into that one, but the fact that they have Taylor from naughty dog working on this one, the fact that they're making such a big deal about the story, talking to the actors and talking to them, the writers and how the cinematographer and everybody for that panel we went into and then seeing the trailers like it seems like it's actually a really interesting story and i do like the future aspect of it i do like the idea of uh get you know like fighting on the ground into your your space plane into your dog fighting in space you dock with your ship you talk to what's happening there you go it's all one there's no cuts there's no stopping there's no i mean obviously they're hiding loads as you fly or whatever but the idea is that you're playing this like a movie where there isn't going to be the hard stop and the loading spin and this mm -hmm. is what's happening and if it can deliver on at least a little bit of the story and it has you know what john snow in there is the villain it's like that seems interesting yeah definitely. hopefully it's not just a cash in here's the name this is the thing but 
with Taylor behind it, I really doubt it is. Like, I don't think that's the project they'd go out and try to make. So mm -hmm. I am interested in that story more than I am in the vignettes, but I haven't seen the story trailer. Yeah, I'm really interested to see the reviews of, of both the games just to see kind of how they how they do. And, yeah. You know, if it's worth the, the time to, to commit to it or whatever or, from a single player perspective. Well, Call of Duty is like a master class of, of control and gameplay. And so I think that that's always going to be their advantage. It's not to say Battlefield doesn't play well as well, uh, well as well because it does. Um, but I, my conjecture on this, and it's it's I don't play multiplayer, so I don't really give a fuck. Uh, one way or the other is um, I think that with Battlefield 1 coming out in such a robust way with a, a new game at the same time as this Call of Duty game, one's going to look very quaint next to the other. And I think Call of Duty is going to look very quaint next to Battlefield. And I think that the, those those contrasts are going to be seen and I think it's going to be obvious. But um, whether or not one is better than the other, I don't know. I, I intend on playing both campaigns. Uh, what I'm excited about Battlefield 1 specifically is the possible educational um, aspect of it. And I think it's going to be small, but I think that like turning people onto the Great War and what happened there and the players in it um, and how um, how who was involved and who the fuck are the Ottomans? Like I bet you a lot of kids don't even know they don't exist anymore. They're this thing that's in front of your couch. You put your feet on. Well, yes, those exist. That that is an Ottoman, but not Got not, not the not Got the proper him. noun Ottoman. Uh, so I, I like I like the idea of like showing people you know a, a much less and I, I I use this word lightly and I think people don't understand what I'm saying, but a, a much less glamour glamour. Uh, uh, a war full of glamour. Like I think World War II is good versus evil. I think there's a lot of glamour there for, mm -hmm. for Hollywood. I think there's a lot of glamour for games and storytelling. I think World War One is really fucking brutal. Um, World War II is even more brutal, but I think World War One is just sheer brutality and, and, and antiquity meeting modernity, and I think it's going to be really cool for people to see that because I think a lot of people aren't familiar with World War One, especially in the United States. Joel Keller says, what's up, guys? So, Long time, first time. In recent years, there's been an anti-pre-order movement spurred on by a portion of the market and gaming personalities. I see the points to both sides of the controversy. First, I can understand publishers getting excited of their early sales numbers and then putting less effort into developing a quality product. On the other side, pre-ordering the hard... Pre-ordering hard-to-get items like the Wii U GameCube adapter can make for a much easier purchasing process for individuals. My question is, could you gentlemen please discuss the positives and negative effects of pre-ordering games and what it does to our industry, and your opinions on pre-ordering. Keep up the stellar content. No, no publisher seeing pre-order numbers high and then saying work on the game less. That's not happening. So that's th not so, the problem. That's so not that's, the argument. That's not an. That's not I think he's saying low. Although I agree with you. No, oh, publishers aren't making making. I don't think development choices based on pre-order six months out when the game has been developed yeah. for a few years. It's, it's a gestation period. Um, my uh, take on this is I think it's good to reserve and pre-order hardware. And I think that yeah, when he brought up the battery, that's nobody's argued that either. Yeah, like hardware is fine. We have pre-orders on VR and, and all those kinds of things. I'm sure people have their Neo VR, the Neo pre-orders in. And I think that that's totally fine. I don't understand. And I guess I'm one of those gaming personalities in quotes that doesn't understand why people pre-order games otherwise. I think that there's interesting financial benefits now with Best Buy and Amazon giving pretty significant discounts on doing that. And I think that is a response to the stunting of um, the pre-order market. But I don't understand how it, especially in the digital atmosphere, how it hurts to just wait until reviews come out or just wait until embargoes lift and see what people think about the game or watch some gameplay or get some feedback from your friends. If you've waited, um, and I, I guess it's easy for us to say because of the early access we get the games, and I understand that, so I'm putting that on the table. But if you've waited so you know X amount of years for a game, is a few more days going to really hurt you? So you can make sure that your sixty dollars, your hard-earned sixty dollars, is getting spent in the right way. So I think pre-ordering is embarrassing, specifically because uh, not embarrassing for people to do, but embarrassing for publishers to put out there their game when they're like, you pre-order here and you get this special thing, and you pre-order here and you get this. But I'm like, show shut the fuck up! Like, wh why are you like doing that to people? You know, like when they don't know anything about your game, I think it's a little bit predatory. The argument um, as I mean, well. The argument to the question, like why what's the argument against pre-orders, right? It's that 
you're showing them that you don't care about quality and you'll accept whatever they give you. That's the thing, right? You're buying this sight unseen. You are giving into this marketing thing. You are doing that. And I pre-order games, don't get me wrong, but it's that argument that you can't pre-order this game and then get it and then be mad. Like you had the option, like when I am questionable about a game, that game looks interesting, but I don't know if I want to buy it or I don't know if I want to play it ahead of time and I'm not getting an early copy, which does happen. Like I won't pre-order it. I'll wait for reviews, right? So for you to plop down your money and pre-order it, it's that you're buying into the marketing that we all talk about how stupid it is. Mm-hmm. And we all talk about how stupid it is that you pre-order here to get in Alloy's new coat in Horizon. It's like, what the f- No, I, well, can I just get that somewhere else? Can I go and do this? Uh, you want, you know, better games journalism, but you don't want to stop and wait and support the reviews and then base decisions off of that and like have a more critical edge to it or taste to it. The good, the pros for pre-ordering that I mean, that I do when I like, you know, I've pre-ordered like Batman Arkham Knight, right? They didn't send us codes. I pre-ordered. I had preloaded. I wanted it immediately. I wanted Mm -hmm. it day and date. I I wanted it at midnight so I could play it. I think we did a stream for it. Um, The benefit is getting it right away. The benefit is that if you've been around long enough, you can watch gameplay trailers and you can watch gameplay demos and here's the 20 minute e3 demo and be like that's something i want now if i would have played 20 minutes of arkham knight and gotten four hours in and been like man this wasn't what i wanted which the tank battling was but not enough to keep me from ever playing it like that's on me i i fuck that up Mm -hmm. but you can i'm not it's not black and white i feel like there is this gray area but it is this thing of like you're sending the wrong messages to the people publishing your games when you're just pre-ordering everything and everything, everything, then getting it and then bitching about it. Pre-ordering, pre-ordering, you're you're eating up everything they're giving you about No Man's Sky, but not educating yourself on what No Man's Sky really is. And then when it comes out and Sony boasts all these numbers and sales and all this different stuff, you're mad and you have this axe to grind. When the minority, Kevin and myself, not Kevin being a minority, but Kevin and I, <laughs> people who have played the game, sitting there and telling people like, no, 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 it's not that big. It's it's walking around, blowing <laughs> shit up, and going back and do that. That got drowned out by the marketing, and then everybody was so mad about it. It's like, well, you had people telling you what they thought, but you didn't listen to them. You listened to the trailers. You listened to the bombast. To be stuff. fair on that, to just... They also weren't totally truthful and honest about the game. I understand. So it's on them as well, right? But yeah, I agree with you. I think that, like... it, it It's it's endemic of a, of a, of a system of... of um, uh, media and uh, um, and kind of uh, enth- enthusiast press and publishers and developers where it's kind of like you want it to be taken more seriously, but pre-orders don't allow you to take things seriously um, in a way because you're not like literally three days between the launch of No Man's Sky and when you could have played No Man's Sky would have saved you probably $60 for playing a game that a lot of people didn't want to buy anyway. They just didn't know it yet. So I think, yeah, buying into the marketing, buying into the hype, it's easy. We all do it. But when people say I'm like very dour and sour on, on games or, for instance, or like I, I don't seem to have fun with a lot of games or I don't enjoy, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, I'm just being real with you. I'm like, you can eat up in all the marketing hype you want. Like I, I play a lot yeah, of games. And, personal experience. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I, I don't eat up the marketing hype. I, I want to see, like, I'm excited about certain games, but, uh, you know, you still, I was ex- actually interested to play No Man's Sky and I played it for a couple hours and I'm like, no, I'm with the majority on that one. So, you know, I think that... It, it behooves people to, yeah, like reserve games you want, do what you want, uh, save your money. But w- what's even stopping you? And there could be something, I'm sure that there's something maybe in the fine print, but even if you want to pre order games, so you have it and you get that discount, for instance, and you pay $47 for the game instead of $60, what's stopping you from just keeping it sealed for a few days until you really get a consensus or get some information that you need from people you trust to make sure that that's money well spent? It's re- in other words, like pre order or don't pre order, I'm just trying to help you save some money because I think a lot of you have burned before. Yeah, the, the argument against pre order is you can't pre order these games and then complain when they suck and then complain that somebody stole your money. It's like, well, no, you had you, you have thousands 
of opinions out there and sites and YouTube channels that are not necessarily there to educate you, but they will and they have opinions. You can find it and you can know that you're like Tim on this game and you're like Greg on that game. So you really want to know what they think or what Jim Starling says or what Marty Sleva says. Yeah. You can do that. But so when you have those resources, you can't act like it was all the wool covered. You pulled over your eyes and this, that and the other. When you had the shot, you had the materials out there. You can pre-order and be like, well, they, I've, yep, I pre-ordered Superman 64, right? That was on me. I needed that game right away, and it sucked, and that was money down the drain, right? Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. But I don't sit here and go like, oh, I got robbed. I was yeah. like, that game sucked. Back in the day, I feel like there was a lot more pre-order incentives that themselves were worth it. Like Mar or with uh, Zelda, pre-ordering Wind Waker got you the, the collector's disc sure. that got you Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask on GameCube. Yeah. And stuff like that was like... That's worth admission alone. Sure. And uh, rarely we see things like that. Back nowadays. in the day, I mean, it was too that, you know, this they only got X number of copies. So you needed to make sure that you didn't show up at a GameStop. Exactly. Um, but then now it's like then over the last 10 years, like especially it started last generation, like there it was so much DLC bullshit. Yeah. Where it's like this costume or get this thing. Like we did Square's um, GameStop Manager Expo yeah. thing where we talked about all their games and stuff. And there's so much stuff where I'm like, What's the point of even mentioning that in Dragon Quest Builders, if you pre-order, you get three exclusive materials, three exclusive materials to use. It's like, first off, what does this? It's like the Hot Shots review where I'm like, I don't know who these characters are. I haven't I played this game yet. Do I need is. three more yeah, materials? Like, I don't understand what I get a dragon battle ticket. I'm like, do are those hard to come by in the game? Like, who the fuck knows? And it's like, there's some things that are a, a, a lot clearer. Where it's like you can understand what it means. Where it's like uh, you get an extra map in a multiplayer. Play Final Pre-order Final Fantasy 15. You get the King's Tale. Or King's whatever. Tale. You yeah, get yeah, another yeah. game for free uh, early yeah. or whatever. It's like stuff like that. It's like okay, cool. Sure, if yeah. you want it, it's worth the. If you really think you're going to buy that game, yeah, whatever. Um, but the people that pre-ordered Final Fantasy 15 back when it was called Final Fantasy Versus 13. I don't get that. How are you going to pre-order a game when it doesn't even have a release date yet? Like that, that stuff doesn't that's make awesome. sense to me. It I didn't even think about that. Somebody's got a receipt. This oh, yeah, Final there's, there's a whole bunch of them. That's that, awesome. That's all over the internet. And like that just blows my mind. Like I never pre-ordered a game unless I knew I was going to at least have a good chance of whether or not I like it, wanting the game. Yeah. Um, and knowing the understanding the pre-order bonuses and understanding that structure and understanding all that stuff you need to do. Um, but I, it's like to your point, I think that Best Buy and Amazon are really kind of fighting back against the, um, the, the trends and they're trying to be like, all right, well, how do we solve this? Like they're trying to be a bit more forward thinking in uh, giving the users what they want because they understand that in the long run, that's what's going to win. And offering someone 20% off if you're a Prime member, that's fantastic. I yeah. think that alone uh, makes it worth it to to risk potentially. Uh, it's not so much double or nothing, but it's like, all right, you're not sure that you're, you're going to like the game. But if you pre-order, you get 20% off. Like That's a pretty significant discount. I haven't done that yet. So does the 20% go away once it's out? Yeah, it's, okay. it's for pre-order. Cool. Just making sure I understood. Yeah, Don't so yell it's like, Jeez. Uh, I, I think that that type of stuff, it, it really it incentivizes you to buy it early, which obviously the retailers want you to do because they want you to buy it and the publishers want it so that they can have these sales numbers. So it is definitely like a, a relationship between the two of you. But I think that this way, giving you a discount on it is way fairer than giving uh, you giving a you new colored skin building for things for Dragon Quest Builders. Now, like let's not talk shit about Dragon Quest Builders. We're looking forward to that game. I would love yeah, the, I would love not the, the deal. Materials. Like you're not pre-ordering it, right? True. Yeah. So anyway, um, that is that. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me again this week on the 88th episode 88th. of the Kind of Funny Games cast. What are you saying? 88 in Spanish. Oh. Thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week. Until next time, I love you.